0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Third Impact Anime. I am your host, Bill, all by myself this time, as I thought it's been a while. Since we've done a seasonal anime pod episode. Our last one was fall of 2022 and we're now already into fall, the fall season of 2023. Where has the time gone? So I thought since there's a lot of shows that are piquing my interest this season, I thought I'd get on and kind of give an early impression. As most of the shows as of this recording are into their fourth or fifth episode at this point now i don't know how you are listener but when it comes to the anime season seasons i go in cycles where usually the fall and the spring season brings me a lot of shows that pick my interest and the summer and winter maybe one or the best two shows uh pique my interest um, but uh I think that helps because then I'm unlikely to have burnout and I'm more willing to get excited for stuff when they come around instead of being on the seasonal grind. So it's kind of good to have an on and off season. Now, dear listener, if you're wondering, why didn't you talk about this show? Why didn't you talk about Pluto on Netflix? It just came out. So for Pluto, that's a show that I am also really interested in checking out, but I thought it would be a bit unfair to review Pluto with all the other series that are airing at this time, because Pluto is complete and released as one piece, whereas all the other shows are released weekly. And so I thought that'd be a bit unfair to the other shows, because of their difference in release schedule. And it also doesn't help that Netflix also doesn't seem to like me <laughs> when I try and log in. Maybe Netflix is telling me to wait to talk about Pluto another time. And as for any other anime that you might be watching that I'm not watching, and you're telling your phone or your tablet or wherever you're listening to this, why'd you talk about this show? Why'd you talk about that show? Why'd you talk about this show? Well my answer to that is well why didn't you tell me about it? If you told me about it, I might have checked it out, but you didn't tell me. And you could have easily told me on the dead carcass that is Twitter or on the new shiny blue sky which is I'm at my usual handle WB Foreman with the 39s. Maybe you could tell me about anime that you're excited about there instead of screaming into your phone. So now that that we got that PSA out of the way, (laughs) why don't we talk about a returning favorite from last year, Spy Family. So, Spy Family, done by Studio Wit with Cloverworks, still looks great and is pretty funny. It's interesting going into this season so far, as someone has not read the manga, a lot of the episodes have been, so far, a lot of character work giving spotlights to particular characters like Bond and Damien, and kind of supporting characters. There's been no overarching arc or storyline like there was heavily in season one. I'm assuming that a lot of these early episodes are adapting bonus chapters, such as the first episode we get is when Yor gets uh, shot in the butt, Which I remember Tobias being a bit bummed out. That was not in the first season. And I imagine he's very happy that he did that the first go around. So maybe there will be an ongoing arc pretty shortly. But as of right now, I'm enjoying the character stuff. I think an episode that really stuck with me was the Damien plot. Where it's about Damien trying to super-study... for the next exam and he is so stubborn into studying that he never leaves his room he never goes and does things with his friends and then he's kind of tricked into going out on a nature uh, trip with a teacher and his two friends and it shows that he, he can be a kid and have fun and it's okay to do that. I also really appreciated in that story that it illustrated that his friends, like his two henchmen friends, aren't just there because of his name, but they actually really care for him and respect him. Like, there's a funny sequence when uh, one of them falls out of a boat and they think they're drowning and they both jump in to save each other when actually they're in like three or four feet of water. (laughs) And can stand, and they get all embarrassed. That's that's a lot of fun. Or when Bond is uh, eating or getting ready to get food, and he has a precognition vision that the food that yours gonna make him will kill him. So he goes on a crazy adventure uh, to get our uh, favorite spy back home, so that way well, he can make the food. And so that way Bond won't die of yours cooking. (laughs) Uh, So it's a lot of, like, fun, one-off adventures. And, again, fitting with what we've talked about with Spy Family before is that this this story is mostly a comedy story with some light story in the way. And so if you are one of those people that are like, when is your and Lloyd going to get together? When is the story going to progress? I don't think... I think you're going to be disappointed. This is very much a character comedy-focused show, and it's still really exceeding at that, with some beautiful animations to boot. In terms of animations, I really want to talk about the opening and the ending. The opening was surprisingly directed by a semi-retired uh, director that we have talked about on the podcast before, Masaki Iwasa where he did the storyboards for the opening and he directed it. And it looks great. It's a lot of squash and stretch and just kind of elaborate transitions here and there. And to show just how big Spy Family is, they got Otto, who or Otto, who uh, was the voice of Uta in the One Piece Red movie, and she kills it with the opening. And then in the ending song which I really love the animation for. It's very music-themed. I love the song by uh, Bundy with Corey Wong! Let's go. I love Corey Wong. He's a fantastic funk guitarist. He has been featured with one of my favorite bands, Wolfpack, and he is just everywhere, touring, releasing music. If you like funk music... I highly recommend checking out Corey Wong's work. It's great. But yeah, Spy Family continues to deliver. I know there's the movie that's coming out. I imagine Crunchyroll will release it sometime next year, probably January, February. I'll be interested to see how they handle Spy Family as a franchise going forward, if it's going to be like a movie every... Once in a while, or is it going to become a yearly thing like Detective Conan? Probably not. But we'll see. I, I, I'd be curious what they're going to do with the movie. And I'm going to enjoy what happens story-wise with Spy Family Season 2. Now, maybe you want to fast forward to this part. I'll try and make it short because we're going to go to Hardcore Bill Corner as we're going to be talking about Idol Master. Million okay. Live. <laughs> So, for Idolmaster Million Live, as an Idolmaster fan, this is something I've been waiting for for a very long time, as they announced this anime back in 2016! And we waited, and we waited, and it's finally here. Now if you don't know what Million Live is, Million Live is one of the many branches of the overall Idolmaster franchise. and I was pretty excited about it. Um, This is something I've been waiting for. The million live idols were featured featured in the original Idolmaster movie back in 2016. I was interested to see how they would handle these new characters, if they would treat it like how they did the Cinderella Girls Idolmaster adaptation. And so far, it's been of a mixed bag for me. I think the show looks great. I like that they're acknowledging the original original 765 Pro Idols as veterans, and they're kind of in the background. We're having the original producer from the 2011 anime come around, and Kotori, the original secretary, and they're kind of in supporting roles. I would love to see the original Idols play a larger mentorship role. I'm also liking that, unlike the Cinderella Girls anime so far, While there are three main idols that are the focus, we are getting cameos by other Million Live Idols and they're not just being shuffled off and waited to be revealed towards the second half of the season. Now, so far, I'm I'm disappointed with the lack of music that they've shown. In Idolmaster anime, usually they're pretty good about showing off or letting you hear two to three songs, new songs, per episode, and that hasn't happened surprisingly. I'm also hoping for more character development story, which hasn't really happened as we're slowly go moving the plot forward of getting our three situated with the Idolmaster franchise, setting up the Million Live Theater but I'm hoping as the episodes progress we get more character-focused episodes like we've gotten in other Idolmaster shows. But it's it's been a banner year for me as an Idolmaster fan as we had the really good U-140 uh, anime that I, w- I was really fearful I was going to hate, but was actually a great showing for Idolmaster. And next year we have the other branch getting its own anime, Shiny Colors by Polygon Pictures. Oh no! Oh no! It's gonna look. It's gonna look bad. It's probably gonna look very bad. But I will watch it. So, as as a fan, we're getting a lot to check out. But we we'll we'll see how Shiny Colors handles their animation by Polygon, and we'll see. How Million Live plays out. Okay! Okay, are you still here? Or are you still here? Okay, hopefully, hopefully I put in time codes and you could skip this. If I didn't put in time codes, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Hopefully, you're able to fast forward through Idle Master Tug. Let's get to something a bit more underground. Maybe you've, you've heard about this in the periphery. Maybe they're just hiding. Like instead of ninja, under ninja, Yeah, to call the hat's legacy, my again a shit. the next I checked out *Under Ninja* because the manga is published by Dempa Books. Dempa is a is an indie manga publisher. They've put out really unique books. I think that I'm I mostly know them for putting out the the man who created Gundam gag manga, which I really want to read. And they're also going to put out the classic shojo sci-fi manga *They Were 11 very shortly. So. Based off their pedigree, I decided to check out Under Ninja, and for the life of me, I don't understand what's going on, because narratively, this is a very surreal story about these high school students, and they're also ninjas, and there's a westerner who comes to Japan that wants to be a ninja... And so I'm just really lost with what's going on in Under Ninja. But maybe that's the point. Uh, Maybe I would enjoy this more if there was a dub. I think a dub for this kind of abstract, kind of surreal work would make things a bit more uh, easier for me to understand. It'd be the the sugar for my medicine. But I, I tried the first two episodes and I was just lost. I I wish I not wish, but I hope Tobias check this out. Tobias, if you're listening to this, go check out Under Ninja because I think it would scratch a very Tobias itch with its kind of surreal, weird narrative. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, be the selling point. But it but it's it's strange. I think if you like kind of weird shows, kind of. I guess kind of early Yuasa, maybe, in terms of stuff not making a lot of sense. You should check this out. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep trying, maybe. I wanted to check it out because of its kind of uh, pedigree, but I'm a bit confused by it as there's not a strong narrative, and it seems more kind of abstract. So maybe this is more of a DeBias joint than than it is for me. Or maybe it is for you, dear listener. Now let's move on to something completely different. <laughs> something that's a bit more romantic with I'm in love with a villainess. <laughs> If you've heard this story before, a girl gets reincarnated into her favorite ultimate game. What's an ultimate isekai? That's brand new. No, it's not. You, if you've been around the block before, you've seen ultimate isekai shows. Something with a very similar title. I was a big fan of. I'm a villainous all routes lead to doom. Uh, was one of them, but this is something completely different, as the main crux of this story is a girl dies from overwork, gets reincarnated into her favorite ultimate game, where she is the main character, Ray Taylor, but unlike probably the typical player, she is not romantically interested in the three male leads. She is romantically more interested in the villainess or the antagonist Claire Frank, Claire Franchuis. Also, warning, you should know by now, if you've listened to me on the podcast multiple times, I will probably screw up a name. We'll see how I do. Okay, sidebar, done with. Why I wanted to check this show out is because Erica Friedman, who we've had on the podcast before, is a excellent voice being a big champion of of Yuri works has been with a bit of hyperbole screaming from the mountaintops about how good I'm in love with the villainous is and I want to check it out and at first it was a pretty typical isekai ultimate premise where the main joke was Ray Taylor making Claire uncomfortable by being very over the top in professing her love for Claire. And her, because she has played this Otome game over and over again, being like the master of everything that's going on and and knowing how to do spells and being a master of chess and whatnot. But I think the show gets really interesting when you get to the third episode. Because after all this proclamations of being vocally in love with Claire and Claire being uh, Claire being kind of put in an awkward position by it and that's that's where the comedy comes from one of the characters plainly asked Ray Taylor are you gay and she says yes I am attracted to women and is very Frank about her identity, and I think the show does a really good job, kind of examining your uh, I- identification and how you feel about that. Because there's this whole sequence where one of them says, "Well, gender doesn't matter; love is love." When Ray says, "Well, I appreciate the sentiment. It does matter because I'm I'm not attracted to any of any male." I'm interested in Claire and have been always been interested in females. And then we get sort of a deeper insight uh, that on the surface level she's being over the top about declaring her love for Claire, but it's also a defense mechanism because she's been hurt by unrequited love before, so turning it into an over-the-top joke is a way to express her feelings without being hurt. And I think uh, showing that kind of vulnerability was really interesting because usually Isekai, otome stuff is pretty surface level and just behind the surface level premise, there is a deeper um, thought about one's self and one's identity and it was also refreshing as someone who watches anime and things can be very coded, where it's not said explicitly, to see someone explicitly say, "I am gay," which was really cool to see. And I hope we get that more of that character stuff dealing with uh with Rays. Um, insecurities and her identity uh, on top of the comedy stuff because overall I've been enjoying the show with one caveat in the fourth episode they spend so much time on lore about how spells work in this world and how the world works and I just want to say to the makers of the show I don't care you are a generic fantasy world you could tell me anything, and I would just nod my head and go, "Okay, let's let's move on," because I don't care about that part. I care about Ray and her and her journey of just like how her relationship changes with Claire and how Claire will evolve, because we've we've seen glimpses of Claire slightly changing, uh, begrudging I wouldn't say begrudgingly, but as things have gone on, she's she's become a bit more understanding, even though she is defensive. Because probably for her, um, she is a bit taken aback, because by her default in the game, the protagonist is her enemy, and so why would the protagonist now state her romantic feelings towards her? There's one nice sequence when two unidentified classmates are being mean to Ray Taylor, where Ray, where they're saying derogatory things, and Claire dumps food on them, and in an ultimate antagonistic way, treats them like, you're not going to say anything, are you? And you're just going to accept my fake apology, which was cool to see. So yeah, I hope we get more of those character moments on top of the comedy and less lore about the world because I could care less about the lore. (laughs) So onward to instead of romance, let's go to Mex with Bullbuster. So the premise with Bullbuster is a mysterious mysterious creatures are forcing local inhabitants to abandon their island home. With a lack of government help, a local construction company is tasked to eradicate these creatures, but with tight restraints on their purse strings and the pressure from their parent company to get this job done and for the islands and by the residents to finally go back to their homes can they get the island to its former state so this is i think the mech show of the season as even though they are construction company they're using mechs to fight these strange monsters and I decided I, did, I heard some good buzz and I decided I wanted to check it out. I think what's most interesting about this show for me is two things. One, it's cool to see a mech show deal with a locally contained problem. As most mech shows, like if you've watched Gundam, it's can be end of the world, end of the universe, global political things, or there's a thing that we have to destroy or defeat or else they'll defeat the world right but instead this is a more locally based it's on the island it's concentrated on the island that's what we're focused on the greater island of japan is not the focus here or the greater world which is really interesting to see as most mech shows are more global globally based also, the protagonist is a very much an over-eager, probably otaku nerd, because he gives uh, logo designs for the construction company that are clearly based off Evangelion and Garrosh Logan, and just his over joy about talking about the mech and what the mech can do, and I and I really like the justification of. The other members of the construction company, they're there because some of them are residents of the island. They want to get back home. And just that kind of butting heads of, like, look, this is our home. Don't treat this like a video game or an anime and don't minimize what we're going through. There's a sequence at one point where he recorded himself going on a mission and it leaked and he had to be put on paid leave because it's, it it can be dangerous because they do a really good job of setting up, why isn't the Japanese government involved? Well, their thought process is, if we tell tell the Japanese government, the Japanese government will shut the island down for years, years at a time to figure out what is happening and to stop it. And the Islanders want to get on back to their homes as soon as possible. So if we don't tell the government, we're more likely to get this problem over with and not have to deal with the governmental red tape. And just understand that this is their home and that they want to get back. They miss their home. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is just the financial strain that's on the construction company like there's this one character that's very reminiscent of the manager from Azokan where he's tight-fisted about everything when it comes to money because they have their parent company that is a chemical I think chemical developer company and they have quotas to meet where they're only giving a certain amount of funding and the islanders can only support them for so long in terms of uh, financial support from them. And they need to take on other responsibilities with their construction company. I think a great example of of this kind of financial constraint is they have to take a boat to get to the island, right? To carry the mech to get to the island. Well, initially they have the boat free. But then, because of local pressure, by different fishing unions, they have to buy their own boat or get a different boat. Which, that costs a lot of money to get a boat, pay for it, pay for the fuel, pay for the ammo, and everything just costs money, money, money. It, it kind of reminded me, it's somewhat in a video game like XCOM, where you have a limited resource, and we have to be very careful about... Where we spend it, how is this going to help us? Where can we get extra income? Like uh, at one point, the main character pushes: we need to get a new logo because our current logo is old and drafty. If we get a new logo, set up a new website, we're able to maybe drive traffic to the construction business, where we can get more work and we can take on more things. So that construction uh, find uh, the construction kind of tightness of just the cost of things is an interesting wrinkle to to the show because most mecha, again, treat stuff like ammo and the cost of things like an afterthought. I think the only, th- com- the only show that I can think of that really thinks about the economic cost and the manpower cost is the first Mobile Suit Gundam with the white base and how they only have so much resources as they're trying to get back. So... Maybe that's a callback to Gundam through the original Gundam, maybe a little bit, but just that financial wrinkle into things makes things much more much more interesting in terms of narrative because they can't get the latest and greatest upgrades to the Mech or the best weapons to use. So they have to figure out what is happening to figure out to deal with the problem without going over budget. And on top of that, you get a good mystery with what's causing these creatures to form on the island, what started it, and how it can be fixed. And I will also say, this show probably has my favorite theme of the season. It is really funky, really catchy. I have it as an earworm in my head right now, and I probably will play it for you even before we start talking about this, or after, because it's just so good. I guess my, my only critique with the show so far is uh, that name, uh, Bullbuster. I've, I've wanted to call I accidentally have called it Ballbuster a couple times. Uh, and I'm just like, no, it's Bullbuster. Bullbuster. I wonder if you, listener, get tripped up by the name like I have. I think the show is very underrated in like uh, places like Anime Trending and My Anime List. It's usually on the lower end, so go check it out. I think the mech work is really cool, and it has a really compelling story uh, with the mystery of the island, the, cons- the conflict about getting the island clear, and then just the financial constraint, which adds really cool narrative wrinkles to the show. Let's transition to, I think, a show that a lot of people were excited about and is on the higher end of the anime charts for this season Free In Beyond Journey's End. So, what is Frieden about? Well, what happens after your adventuring days are over and you've saved the world? Enter Frieden, an elven mage, as she looks for new magic and is revisited by old memories of her adventuring party. I, I, didn't, I went into this with no expectations. Like, a, I had heard about the manga from Austin, who is a fan of it. And was intrigued. I was intrigued initially because it's exploring usually when the story ends of I've defeat we've defeated the villain we've defeated the monster we've saved the world what happens now. And so exploring that was really interesting, and also the time differences between a Frieden and her adventuring party, and how they age differently, because Frieden is an elf. She's able to live a much longer life compared to her human or her dwarf uh, compatriots in their former adventuring group. And just the concept of time being much different. Whereas 10 years as together as an adventuring party is a lot for a human. For Frieden, it's a speck of dust, basically. And just that kind of differences... In time and how it's viewed, kind of funnily enough, it reminded me very much of Doctor Who because when the Doctor takes on a companion for for him or her, the Doctor his relationship with the companion feels like an insan an insurmountable amount of time, whereas for that companion, it could. Be a huge part of their life. And just the differences in the viewpoint. Can lead to some interesting. Situations and views. Now. I'm a bit hesitant to say this. But I'm going to be honest here. I got through the first six episodes. And I was zoning out. Pretty bad. And I. And it's not because. The show is bad. It has a very gentle. Pace to it. It's. It kind of reminded me of Mushishi back in the day or Flying Witch, where it's following one central character as they're going about their day as they're traveling. And it's kind of very, kind of gentle um, pacing to it. This Freedom is not an, at least from what I've seen, it's not a very action oriented show. And it's not a very, it doesn't feel very plot driven. It's very character driven by Freedom reflecting back. On her days in the Adventuring Party, revisiting old places that she used to be and seeing friends as she's getting older. I, and it's done by Studio Madhouse, which usually has a history of doing great work. But I was just zoning out pretty badly, where I, I don't think it's the material, I, I think it's more me in that. Uh, For me, I would much prefer this as a manga where I can go about it at at probably a bit of a faster pace. Whereas watching the anime, it moves at a much more calmer pace and Frieden also having a very kind of monotone delivery about things doesn't help. I have history of kind of monotone voice putting me to sleep and making me zone out. And since the story focuses around her and her... Prentis, who is human, um, it doesn't it doesn't help. Now, I'm I'm not saying that Frieden is uh, kind of robotic in terms of her emotions or whatnot. No, she's she has strong memories with her adventuring party, and she has strong feelings, as illustrated by flashbacks to those days. But I I think for me, because there isn't like a strong character goal, and there isn't. And because of the pacing, I am I I am kinda of zoning out and while Madhouse is doing good work and I think the animation is fine, it's visually not that impressive to me. I think it's it's fine, it's it's pretty fantasy world, but it's 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 not kinda of blowing me away in terms of the animation, so for me I I, I think I'm going to pick up the manga from my local library and check it out there cuz i think for me in terms of the pacing checking it out in manga form is the better is the better also dropping 3 episodes in one go probably didn't help cuz i thought oh i guess this is going to be more action oriented if they're dropping 3 at once no no it's it's more gentle so again like mushishi or like flying witch i i think i would much prefer this in anime form and also, hot take, hot take alert. I know, me with my hot takes. I don't like the opening. I know, it. it's, I, I think it's the electronical singing that happens. I've, I've never been kind of a fan of that. <laughs> so, uh, I, that didn't, that didn't help things. But enough of my tangent about my own viewpoints on music. I, I think I've I think I've talked enough about Frieden. Maybe maybe you 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 uh, disagree with me, and you can tell me what I'm not saying here with Friedan beyond's journey's end. So on to something a bit more nostalgic with 16-bit sensation. Another layer. So, 16 bit sensation, another layer, is about Koha, who dreams about being an illustrator for a bishojo game. Now, what is a bishojo game? Bishojo games are typically uh, uh, visual novel games that focus around uh, female characters that are known for their beauty and have very distinctive character designs. When uh, they bring up Actually, in the show is Canon by uh, Key. If you were an anime fan in the 2000s, you probably watched the 2006 Canon anime. So, a game kind of like that. But unfortunately, she is a sub-illustrator drawing subpar mobile games at a small developer. Until one day, when uh, she goes to a video game store... An old merchant gives her a bunch of classic Bishojo games. She opens one of the boxes, and is somehow able to time travel back to the year of 1992, the golden age of Bishojo games. Now joining a company known as Alcohol Soft, Alcohol Soft, uh, Koha thinks she can finally make her dream game. But she has a problem as she has to deal with technical limitations and the technical differences from her time to the 90s. What makes the show really fun is just it's very nostalgic <laughs> in terms of the tech and in terms of the games. Like in the very first episode, Koha is holding up a cannon box and when she... He's explaining the plot to the old lady and doing the agoo voice as the main character from canon. That made me laugh. And uh, just the differences in technology at the time was also really fun. Like, they talk about... They show the difference in... Koha is used to drawing with an electronic pen on a tablet, whereas here in the 90s, she is to use a mouse and... She has a limita- limitations in the amount of colors that she's able to use. 15 colors total. And so her trying to make that adjustment and uh, get used to it is uh, is is quite fun. Now, uh, slight spoiler, after the first episode, she's able to get back to the present and then is able to get back to the past, but a little further along where instead of being in... Uh, 1996 it's now 1999 where they're transitioning from the kind of pc 98 machines to windows as that's where the game development is going at the time and just the stubbornness as one of the lead uh, coder designers is having difficulty adjust to that transition and it's, it's just a lot of uh, fun, fun nostalgia of like they go to Comic hit and one of the main lead uh, designer dresses up like Gendo from Evangelion at the time, and it's just it's 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 fun, fun nostalgia. I think what also helps is the lead uh, Kanaha is very charismatic and she's very passionate about what she wants to do. Like in the first episode, she spends thirty minutes to her boss giving this grand sci-fi epic game that she wants to do or b- proclaiming to the jaded program designer from the nineties, like, no, Shoujo games are awesome. You should, you should love Bishoujo games. And just her energy is a uh, very, in, uh, enthusiastic and kind of, uh, you get really passionate about it. And there's also a lot of, uh, kind of older VAs that show up in here, like, uh, uh, Yui Hori, who is a, um, a, a classic Seiyu shows up in here as one of the characters, and so it's a, it's a big nostalgia fest for, for me and my friend who is watching it. So if you have nostalgia for kind of 90s technology or uh, those type of games during the time, you'll probably really enjoy 16-bit Lair, 16-bit Sensation. I'm curious how many times she'll travel back in the different time periods as the show progresses. And I'm just going to have a lot of fun with it and just enjoy my rose-tinted sunglasses as I watch the show. (laughs) And so for my final show I'd like to talk about is I'd like to talk about The Apothecary Diaries. Diaries is about a young girl who worked as a medicine maker in the red light district in kind of ancient China where then on her way home she is kidnapped and sold to the imperial palace to be a servant. However, a eunuch who is kind of an administrator uh, notices her intelligence and her eccentric personality as she solves a medical mystery of the emperor's children are dying and no one understands why but uh she is able to solve the what is the cause of the problem which then gets this administrator's attention uh Due to her knowledge and her personality, she is then assigned as a lady-in-waiting for one of the Emperor's concubines. And also is able to craft different medicines, which she has a strong passion about. And leads to one of my favorite uh, aspects of the show, which is the medical mysteries that abound among the palace as she has to solve them. So, if you listened to our last anime seasonal pod, I talked about Raven of the Inner Palace, and this show reminds me very strongly about that without the supernatural element, as they're both set in ancient China, both taking place within a larger palace of an emperor, where there are mysteries being solved... And we have to figure out what's going on, and I love a good mystery growing up watching Agatha Christie movies, so this is kind of scratching that itch. I also really love the main character, as she's very compelling with her intellect and kind of her no-nonsense thing, no-nonsense about things. Uh, For example, the kind of administrator Yurik is very beautiful looking, and he is confounded by, like, why is she not affected by my charms at all? <laughs> and it just confounds her. It just confounds him. Um, and just her reactions of just, what are you doing? It's, it's making me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> is uh, quite funny. But I, I think, like, like Raven of the Inner Palace, the thing that drives it is the medical mysteries that are afoot. In one of the... Later episodes, one of the lower concubines is kind of sleep dancing and they want to understand why that's the case. And at first, they're looking at it through a medical perspective, but there's a larger reason to why that's the case, which I won't spoil because I want you to see the Apothecary Diaries. I will also say a big highlight for me for this show is it's being produced by OLM who did Komi Can't Communicate and as expected at least for me OLM is doing some beautiful animation I just love the color palette of this show like all the dresses and all the concubines look gorgeous and just the bright color palette that is throughout the show it looks gorgeous and it's a real uh, sight for the eyes uh do i want to make this my dark horse eh, like i did raven of the inner palace i don't think so because i know this this uh this title has fan base so i think i'm gonna give it that to uh because as there's not a lot of people checking that out but yeah that I would say, even with it not getting my dark horse stamp, I am really enjoying The Apothecary Diaries the most. I am excited for whenever a new episode comes out, and it's kind of scratching that mystery itch I have. So, I highly recommend checking it out. So, we are at the end of my thoughts about this fall 2023 season. I, I'm, I'm watching a good amount of shows. If there's anything that I'm missing, uh, please let me know. Most of these shows are on Crunchyroll. I think that's just the way things are going forward. High Dive has some things, but uh, none of them really appealed to me. And I think this just, that's the way it's going to go, is Crunchyroll is going to get most of the big releases, and Netflix will get a few things. But uh, unfortunately, we live in the age of the monopoly of Crunchyroll. So... If you want to check out, I think all of these shows, all of these shows are primarily on Crunchyroll, and you can check them out there. And if you think I'm missing anything, you can let us know on uh, the husk that is Twitter, where uh, we have a Twitter account, ti__anime, or I'm still there at wb4man39, I'm also on Blue Sky now! it it's a it's a nice nice new place to be blue sky if you if you're on there i'm also wb foreman with 39s on there as well and if you think i'm missing anything in terms of shows or anything i should check out just let me know i'm i'm always on the lookout for new things and there's always something new coming up. I'm just shortly, we should be getting the uh, Netflix Scott Pilgrim anime done by Science Saru, which I know a number of us are excited about. For me, next year, we have uh, the next season of Back Camp. First one done, not done by C-Station. So there's always stuff to look forward to in terms of anime. And with that, I hope you've enjoyed this kind of early anime impression. Pod. uh maybe it'll be me again i don't uh, we'll see if i'll come back to do another one and uh, hopefully you'll like it but until then hope you're enjoying this current season and finding something that you're enjoying and we'll see you in the next one 例だけ